Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis by mailing a check to Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913, that's 15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. You can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Just go to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, today we're going to bring you the only circulating episode of Crime Fighters. Crime Fighters is one of those series that only has one episode in circulation, but actually had a really long and successful broadcast history. Crime Fighters went to the air in November of 1949 and continued to air until 1956 over the Mutual Broadcasting System, originating from New York. It was an anthology series, with each week focusing on a different sort of crime fighter. I should note that this episode was in the collection of the late old-time radio collector Joe Henn, who passed away in 2020. And before that, we had no American episodes of that series. Now let's go ahead and take a listen to this episode, original air date, January 9th, 1950, and the title is New England Detective. <laughs> Crime fighters, they are all kinds, master manhunters to match master criminals, shrewd experts in a thousand rackets, or simple men who study human nature. There's city dicks who work in teams, country sheriffs covering lonely regions, federal men with a nation to police, scientists whose weapon is the laboratory. Each week, this program salutes a different type of crime fighter and his method. This week, a New England detective. Short message from the Ford Dealers of America. Tonight, more than 120,000 enthusiastic motorists own new 1950 Ford. Here's what Mrs. C.W. Haas, a secretary, said. I've never been so thrilled about anything in my life as I am about my new Ford. Why, it's as quiet as a dream, and you can't beat the 50 Ford for comfort. It's relaxing as a living room sofa, and there's just about as much room, and it's safe to drive. Handles just like a kitten, and the brakes work so smoothly and easily. Well, even in shorthand, it would take me hours to tell how wonderful my new Ford is. We Ford dealers hear comments like that every day. Test drive the 50 Ford yourself. Your nearest Ford dealer will gladly arrange it. He is in the classified phone directory, or perhaps you know him. Test drive the 50 Ford for comfort, for power, for safety, and for quietness. Test drive it for the new Ford Field. Before you buy any car at any price, test drive the 50 Ford at your Ford dealers tomorrow. Now to Crime Fighters and a New England Detective. (laughs) 
My town, I'll call it Rockport, is a small, peaceable New England city, right smack on the ocean. And maybe a hundred years ago, it was a busy place for sailing ships. We build our share of fast sailing boats, too, but today our waterfront's just for great banks fishing boats. The residential sections, mostly big, white houses with green shutters, and on top of each one, a little railed-in space called the Withers Walk, where worried wives could walk for their husband's ships to come in. As to crime fighting, I read where authorities call this case big one and that one a little one. And in one way, I don't know what to mean. Bigness of a case isn't measured by dollars, but by what happens to the people mixed up in it. So, that's me, Asa Barrows, the only detective in Rockport, 44 years old and single as the day I was born. Um, one afternoon, about 5.30, I took a mind to go down to the depot to see who came in on the Bangor Express. I kept out a sharp eye, but didn't see the fellow I was looking for, and after a bit, the train pulled out. I, uh, I could have left then, but the express always gives the last whistle, taking the band, and I waited to hear it. I was turning to go back to my car when I saw just one other person left on the empty platform, standing alone and sad. I thought it was you, Miss Orwell. Good evening, Mr. Barrett. I take it you expected your husband on this train, too. He's in trouble again? Well, I'm also parole officer of Rockport. He's got to report to me. Report to you? He did 18 months in prison. Can't you leave him alone? Well, I'm not going to hound him, Miss Orwell. Any idea why he wasn't on this train? His last letter. I got it yesterday. Said he would be on it. I wanted to meet him somewhere else, Bangor maybe. And then we'd go to the Middle West. Someplace where nobody knows. Larry wouldn't have it that way? He said he had to come back here home, he calls it. Why? I don't know. I feel awful lonely sometimes. Now, now, Mrs. Orwell. Uh, can I drive you home? There's a local due in half an hour, maybe. Well, I'd wait with you, but I've got to stop back to the office before I go over to the banquet. Banquet? Maybe that's why Larry didn't come in. What? Banquet for his brother, Gerald. If you're going to wait here, uh, why not go in the waiting room by the stove? Yes, thanks. Good night, Miss Orwell. <laughs> Larry. Over here in the car. Right to see me, Larry? Hello, Case. Hop in. No, I'm expected. Yeah, you might look glad to see me. We spent a whole year in the same cell. What are you doing in Rockport? I come to see you. Have a talk with you. For what? I got a room over by old Pierre. Hop in. Look, Case, I, I don't... Look, you and me could work together pretty good, Larry. Especially in Rockport. Work together? Yeah. Your brother owns that farm chemical plant. I pulled one robbery and I got caught. I'm through with that stuff. Ah, going straight, huh? And I've got a nice wife. I owe her something. 
You'll never pay it going straight. I will. Nobody lets an ex-con go straight. They tell you yes, they want to help you. Then they give you jobs as a doorman or factory sweepers. Crummy jobs. My room's at 14 Old Pier Street. You'll change your mind, Larry. Come and see me. Hello, Mr. Barrett. Well, Larry, I missed you the train. I hopped off on the other side. Your wife missed you, too. Yes, I... Look, I came in to report. Oh. Sure, sure. I um, got papers on you a couple of days ago... All you got to do is check in with me every two weeks for six months. There's a sign here. Yeah. And uh, stay out of trouble and away from the wrong kind of friend. Don't worry. There's still one more thing, Larry. I'm ready to help you. Help me? Do what? A job, for instance. My brother's going to give me a job, Mr. Barrows. General? Well, it's fine. At least I think he will. I'm going up to his house now and see him. We're probably not there now, Larry. Tonight's banquet. Banquet? Uh, Brotherhood Service Club giving him a banquet tonight. Once a year, we honor an outstanding citizen. I thought you knew. No, I didn't. Well, I'm just on my way there now. Can I give you a lift home? Uh, You uh, ought to tell your wife you're back. I'll see Gerald home later. Thanks, Mr. Barrows. But don't tell him I'm back, will you? these few brief remarks of thanks to my good friends of the Rockport Brotherhood Club for giving me this banquet. I have just one more thought to leave with you. It is not enough in this world to be a success. A man must also think, feel, look like a success. I thank you. Our thanks to Brother Gerald Orwell for his little speech. And uh, before I close up my duties as Toastmaster tonight, a um, reminder about getting your quarterly dues paid up. Can't run the club without dues. I declare the meeting at an end. Gerald, that was a fine talk of yours. Ah, thanks, Barrows. Good night. Uh, Gerald, uh, how about my tapping you right now for your quarterly dues? Oh, that? Oh, yes, well, I... Let's see, I... I find I have only a $100 bill, Barrels. Well, I got some 20s in my cash box here. Oh. Eh, one, two, three, four, 20. Thank you. Good night. Eh, uh, not going to sit around. Some of the boys, few glasses of beer. I never do that, Barrels. Familiarity of that kind makes a bad impression. You can't make a bad impression on fellows who've known you all your life. Appearances are more important than most people think. Good night, Farrell. Hello, Gerald. Oh. I was afraid I'd find you here, Larry. I wanted to see you. Thought it'd be better here in your house than at the banquet. The housekeeper lets you in, I suppose. I wanted to promise you that it's a mistake I made. It's all in the past. I don't want any promises from you. Well, you're my brother. That's and... just why. I, I know it was rough on you when I got sent to prison. It, it was rough on Nancy, too. 
So I came back to Rockport. I made up my mind to make good here where it's toughest. And just what is your idea of making good, as you call it? Working. Living quiet with Nancy. Maybe a baby. Will you give me a job in the plant? What makes you think you're entitled to a job? Well, I'm not entitled. I, I just need a and job. And you think that because you were a convict, people will cry over you? I make... have no such idea. I, I just want a job. I can't help you. I have no opening. You're still sore at me. I'm sorry. Well, did you expect me to shout hosannas over you? My brother, robber, jailbird, coming back to Rockport especially to, to, to blackmail me into giving him a job? Blackmail? You think I'll give you a job because I'll be ashamed not to, don't you? Admit it. I told you I want to lead a decent life. That's why I came back here. It'll mean more to me and to Nancy. Now look here, Daddy. One thing it will do. I'll give you money to leave Rockport. You and your wife. Go to the Middle West or the South or wherever it is you found her. Don't get highfalutin about Nancy. She's all right. She worked and laid them store the whole time I was away, and I'll bet you never even saw her. I'll give you $1,000, Larry, now. No. You got in trouble once being hot-headed. Don't be hot-headed again. I did a lot of thinking in prison. And it's cool there inside the walls. I'm staying at Rock Point. I won't leave for any reason. Oh, see. I'm sorry, Larry. Maybe I spoke to... Well, I want to get the plan to the morning. I'll, I'll see if there's some kind of a job open. Oh, uh, you need any money now? I used most of the $10 I got leaving the prison to get here. Got about a buck left. Well, here's some cash. All I happen to have on me. $80. Give it to Nancy. I don't want to see her until after. Well, thanks very much. I'll, I'll phone you. Tomorrow. At the plant. Good night. You'll never be sorry for doing this, Gerald. Good night. Hmm. Operator, connect me with the police station, will you? brief message from your Ford dealer. More than 120,000 happy owners of the new 1950 Ford will tell you that it's just common sense to test drive the 50 Ford before you buy any car. Ten minutes will convince you that the 50 Ford tops them all. That's why your Ford dealer wants you to test drive the quiet new V8 engine. It's the type used in America's most expensive cars. He wants you to test drive the king-size brakes, which are 35% easier to apply. He wants you to test drive the 50 Ford for the feeling of security of its lifeguard body and the comfort and spaciousness of its midship ride. He wants you to test drive it for the Ford feel. If you don't know your Ford dealer personally, you'll find his name in your classified phone book. Even a 10-minute test drive of the 50 Ford will open your eyes. You'll discover there is one fine car in the low-price field, and only one, the 1950 Ford. And now, back to Crime Fighters. Hey, Larry. What are you tailing me around for, Case? Just keeping tabs. Uh, how'd you do with your brother? He give you a job? He's going to. 
Hop in, Larry. I'll walk, thanks. Ah, oh, don't be a creep. It's after 11 and the buses don't run this late. Hop in. Well, I'll drop you in town. Well, okay. You know, first time I got out of the can, my old boss said he'd take me back. Know what he done? He phoned every guy in the neighborhood and warned them against me. And then kicked me out. He wasn't your brother. He was my old man. Then what will you do? Then what'll I do? Yeah. After you find out he's playing your double. Oh, shut up. You'll see. <laughs> and I'll be waiting. And Mr. Pilkington, bless his soul, always used to say, Hepzibah, you certainly know how to make a man comfortable and content on this mortal phase. Happy, no matter how you hit around, I'm not going to ask you to marry me. Bless me, I suppose I had no such idea. Nor have I ever entertained such an idea in eight years of doing for you, poor lonely bachelor man that you are. Yeah. I left the cheese and crackers on the kitchen table for you, and I'll be going. Thank you, Happy. Oh, I ought to warn you, Mr. Pilkington, bless his soul, ate cheese every night. And died. At the age of 74. Good night, Happy. <laughs> See you tomorrow. Oh, somebody to the door. You mind seeing? Oh, not at all, not at all. Well, young man, bless me if it's not... Mr. Barris in, Mrs. Pilkington. Oh, come in, Larry. Thanks. It's young Larry Orwell. Mr. Barris, I'd like to ask you a big favor. Name it. Have you got a spare bed I could use overnight? Spare bed? I know you think it's funny, my not going to my wife, but my brother may give me a job. And when I see her the first time, I want to have something... Uh, happy, is the bed in that spare room next to Paula made up? Mr. Barris, no bed in this house is ever unmade up. Now, that door there, Larry. Uh, Gerald will give you a job with us? He's going to try. Mr. Barris, uh, I want to pay for my lodging. Ah, forget it, Larry. Gerald gave me some money. Let me pay. I'll feel better about it. <laughs> you could go to the hotel. I'd see people I know, and Nancy might find out too soon, as he's talking to <laughs> How much want to pay, Larry? Two dollars. If you give me change of 20, Gerald lent me four twenties. Well, if you insist, I guess I got the change in the Brotherhood cash box. Eighteen dollars. Thanks. You mind if I hit the sack? Right in there. And, Mrs. Pilkington, you, you won't tell anybody you saw me, will you? I knew the worst about Mr. Pilkington, bless his soul, for over 20 years and never breathed a word. Thanks. Good night. Night. Hey, sir. You're going to leave the cash box there all night on the table? Oh, no. I'll take it up from the room. I noticed how he looked at it. How much is in there? All I collected in dues at the banquet tonight, about $700. That boy will rise up in the night and steal it. That boy needs encouragement. He needs people to show a little faith in him. Show your faith. Lock up your money, and your faith won't be destroyed. Ever read a book called... Les Miserables. A French book? <laughs> in it, a priest shows faith in a convict, not by hiding his silver candlesticks, but by showing the convict where they were kept. You... You ain't got any silver candlesticks. No, but I'm leaving the cash box here on the table all night. Mm -hmm. 
I'm terribly sorry to call you so late at night. Well, who, who's this? This is Nancy, Larry's wife. Terribly sorry. What the dickens do you want? I'm so worried about Larry. He was supposed to come in on the Bangor Express this afternoon, and I thought maybe you'd heard from oh, him. Oh, did you really? <laughs> Morning, Happy. Breakfast ready? Huh. What's the matter? <laughs> I'm afraid you'll have to be clearer than that. The cash box. A lot of faith you had, Asa Barrows. After all that speech, you took it upstairs like I told you to, after all. No. I left it here on the table as I told you I would. Then I dare say the boy's gone from that room with your $700, and you'll have to make it up from your savings. And that's why I always say a man needs a woman to take Just care of him. Just a minute. Larry? <laughs> Morning, Mr. Barrows. I oversleep. Uh... What's the matter? Larry, last night I left my cash box on that table. Yeah, I remember you. Where is it? <laughs> Do you know? Well, I, I didn't take it, Mr. Barrows. Holy smoke. Why'd you leave it right out here where anybody... Where anybody what, Larry? I just got an idea who did take it, maybe. Oh. Will you let me get it back for you? What's that mean? You and Mrs. Pilkington think I took it. I want to get it back. Where? Old Pier Street. I better go with you. You want to go right now? But let me go in alone, please. Hiya, Case. Uh, Hiya, Larry. I had a big sleep. Up late? Yeah, yeah, kind of. How much in the cash box? Hey, you're all right, Larry, getting that copper to leave it out all night. How'd you work it? You got the box here? Yeah, under the bed. Let's see it. I didn't count the dough yet, but it looked pretty full. There was a cinch getting it into that house. Out again, too. Oh, here's the box. Want to count the dough? Did you take any out? I told you. Hey, what's the idea? I didn't leave the box out. Barrows did because he wanted to trust me. I'm taking it back. In the pig's foot, you are. <laughs> now come and get it. You bet. There you go. I got you now, Case. Get up. No, no. Let me alone, Larry. Take all the dough. You can have it. Larry, make out all right? There's your box, Mr. Barrows. There's the guy who stole it. Case Barrett. You rotten double crosser, you. Oh, thanks, Larry. Handcuffed for you, young fella. Up with you. Yeah. That was nice work, Larry. Only, um... What? Oh, you see, I, um... I let you come and do this alone. Because it was between us, kind of. But now I, um... Well, I just got word of a charge that you stole $80 last night from your brother. Stole it? I'm sorry, Larry. I got to arrest you. Larry. Larry, why didn't you come to me right away last night? Why'd you let me find out this way? Who told you I was here in jail, Nancy? Mr. Barrows? Nancy, you've been all right. Lonely. You didn't have to speak. I wanted to. Maybe you'll have to stick again. 
It's worse for a parole guy than if it's the first time. She didn't do it. Who people believe, me or Gerald? Next time we will go somewhere else. We certainly did great by you. Hush, hush. You can divorce me, Nancy. No. Come on, you two. I know I overstayed my time, Mr. Barrett. I'm just going. No, both of you come with me. Let's go, Nancy. Don't you want to know where? The court, I thought. Be charged or something. Your brother Gerald's in his house. We're going up there to see him. Now, Gerald, I'm going to do some pretty straight talking. If I'm wrong, I'll apologize afterwards and resign from the Brotherhood Club or anything else that comes to mind. But here goes. Yeah, have a scar, No, thanks. There are two doors to this parlor of yours, and I've closed them both. Behind that one's a police officer waiting to take your brother back to jail till he's tried. Behind the other door is your brother and his wife waiting to see what you do. I know what I'm going to do, Beryl. I'm going to give you a chance to open one of those two doors and see what you do to your brother's life and his wife's and yours. I told you, I know what I'm going to do. I ask you to reconsider your charge of burglary against your brother. Oh, you're making a fool of yourself, Barrows. I insist on making the charge. Came home last evening to find Larry waiting for me. After he left, I discovered he'd stolen $80 from my desk. Well, happen to recall in what denomination? Yes, it was 420. No, no, I don't recall. Remember last night after the banquet, you paid your dues with a... $100 bill? Yes. And I gave you four twenties in change? Oh, was it four twenties? Uh, one of those bills, I happen to notice, had a corner torn off maybe half an inch across. You happen to notice that? I told you I... No, I didn't. Well, later last night, Larry came to my house and wanted a bed and insisted on paying for it, and I gave him $18 change for a $20 bill. That same $20 bill with a corner torn off. Well, then, you see, that proves he stole the money. It looks like it, don't it? But you said he took the money before you got back home. Well, yes, he, he, he must have. But, because... Gerald, you didn't have this bill before the banquet to leave in your desk. And you didn't claim he burgled it afterward later in the night. I figure you gave him those four twenties like he told me. Why do you want your brother back? Well, how do you think it looks for me to have a jailbird brother? There's the two doors, Gerald. You can open that one where the police officer is, and Larry will go to trial. And even if he's cleared, you know it'll break his heart, let alone his wife. Or open Larry's door and tell him you made a mistake. And which door are you going to open? Officer? Officer, you don't have to wait. You can go. I figure that was as neat a job of crime fighting as ever did. Gerald dropped the charge, but Larry never did take any job Gerald offered him. 
He got another at a garage, and Nancy's still working in Latham's store. And it all hung on $80. A small case. Hmm. Now, I called the big one. Because Gerald Orwell had to live with himself the rest of his life. And even he mightn't have found that comfortable had he put his brother back in prison. Then there was Larry and his wife. Their future hung on that $80, too. In my crime fighter's book, three lives hanging on what happens makes it a big case. Here's another of the more than 120,000 happy new Ford owners. Here's what Betsy Kahn, former fashion editor of Mademoiselle and one of the most outstanding designers of junior clothes in New York, said about her Ford convertible. I consider fashion an index to the way people live. Cars like clothes must meet the demands of the active and busy life of a young person. They must be smart and comfortable and meet a budget. After looking at all the new cars, Yes, and having driven them, too, there wasn't any question that the 1950 Ford was the outstanding value. It's perfect in appearance, and the answer to my every requirement in a car. It's the finest car I've ever driven. Until you get behind the wheel of the 50 Ford, you won't be able to believe how good it is. That's the reason we want you to test drive the 50 Ford. The classified phone directory has the name of the nearest Ford dealer, or perhaps you know him personally. Why not phone him tomorrow? Before you buy any car, at any price, you owe it to yourself to test drive the 50 Ford. Prime Fighters is presented each week at this time. Produced and directed by Wynn Wright, this script was by Paul R. Milton. Asa Barrows was played by Raymond Edward Johnson, Larry by Alan Stevenson, Gerald by Ian Martin, Nancy by Abby Lewis, and Case by Rock Rogers. Music is by Milton Kay. Crime fighters, they are all kinds, master manhunters to match master criminals. Shrewd experts in a thousand rackets or simple men who study human nature. There's city dicks who work in teams, country sheriffs covering lonely regions, federal men with a nation to police, scientists whose weapon is the laboratory. Each week, this program salutes a different type of crime fighter and his method. Next week, a detective in a foreign language district. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Welcome back. Well, an interesting story, a bit different than your typical Great Detectives program, but... I thought it was engaging and entertaining, and it also seemed pretty typical to 
but a small-town New England detective would deal with and handle capably on their own. I would love to hear more of the series and the different types of cases they did. I should note that while this is the only American episode out there, like many series, this was re-recorded in Australia, and Grace Gibson does sell the Australian episodes. I've not had a chance to listen to them, but uh, that would be one other way to experience this series further. Of course, Raymond Edward Johnson is best known as the host of The Inner Sanctum, and we've heard him as the host of The Crime Club quite a few years back, and he was also in a couple of episodes of Follow Vance a few months back. They're using a different voice than his typical radio voice, so this is a bit of a treat just to be able to hear Johnson in something a bit different. I do wonder whether Abby Lewis did doubles here. She's credited in the role of the convict's wife, but she's the only female cast member, so did she also double as the housekeeper? At any rate, this was just a really fun listen, and I hope you enjoyed this rare program. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Robert. Patreon supporter since December of 2018, currently supporting the program at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Robert. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow it using your favorite podcast software. Be sure to rate and review the podcast wherever you download it from. Next Saturday, we will have some previously uncirculated episodes of Indictment. Tomorrow, listen for a sneak preview of our latest podcast project, The Old Time Radio Snack Wagon. And also be sure to join us back here on Monday for The Adventures of Sam Spade, where... Of course, you're Sam Spade. I am, Mr. McClellan. Well, you came at an opportune time. There's no one around to overhear our conversation. I suppose you wonder why I hired a detective for a place like this. Well, not especially. I go where the people go and the money. Uh, You'll be paid well for your time and trouble. I must be quick. In essence, this is my situation. Yes. Earlier this week, I received an anonymous letter saying that if I invited the guest list I'd planned for this weekend, there might be serious trouble. Uh, Here's the letter. Uh, Keep it to yourself. It's a Los Angeles postmark. I see. Well, we might start by tracing down this typewriter through an L.A. detective agency. Every one of my charming guests is from Los Angeles. One of them wrote it, if you ask me. Very likely. I want to know who wrote it, if I can, but more than that, I wonder what serious trouble the writer is referring to. The girl you sent to pick me up said you had a very volatile group of people assembled. Yeah, perhaps they're high-strung individuals, but they're civilized. I'm sure their conflict would never get beyond a cutting phrase or two, or perhaps a punch thrown here or there. Well, then you really don't believe you'll have any trouble? Yeah, I don't know, I don't know. I thought it would be advisable to have a man like yourself around. Yes. One who deals in trouble professionally. Perhaps if things do get out of line, you can help repair the damages, or even prevent things from occurring. Well, I'll do my best, Mr. McLeod, but it's not easy to look for something when you don't know what you're looking for. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to Box 13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.